Welcome to Soaring the Sky Glider Pilots Podcast. My name is Chuck. I'll be your host. Whether you're an aviation enthusiast or someone who just loves checking out new podcasts or a pilot yourself, welcome to Soaring the Sky. And today, from Tampa Bay, Florida, and the Tampa Bay Soaring Society, I have with me Bruce Patton. Bruce, how are you doing? Good evening, Chuck. I'm doing wonderful. Thanks. It is great to have you on the show. Good to be here. Appreciate the invite. Absolutely. We have talked a couple times, and um, you had some interesting stuff that you you had brought up, which we can talk about later. But I always ask everyone, you know, how did your adventure in aviation begin? So I'm going to ask you the same thing. Okay. Uh, actually, the, my adventure in aviation started probably at a pretty young age. I can uh, remember back, actually, was when I was very young, uh, my parents took me on a uh, flight of, I believe it was Frontier Airlines back many, many, many years ago out of Denver that we took a, a ride in. And I think it may have been a DC-3 or something. And that really intrigued me. And we lived, I lived in Aurora, Colorado. So um, pretty much underneath where Stapleton Airports, the, the planes lined up to land. So I remember watching the, the commercial jets come in and land. And I was always intrigued by that. And I also remember, the funny thing is, I remember when I was, a I don't know what grade I was. I had to have been probably fourth grade. I remember out playing on the on the playground on my elementary school. We were close to um, Sky Ranch Airport, which has been gone for a long time. And I do remember a plane that actually landed in a field real close to the school and watching that. And that just intrigued me. And, and again, I was always intrigued with it. So after high school, I was looking for a place to what to, what to do for college. And Denver has a, uh, a great school, Metropolitan State College, that had an aviation program. And that program, you basically, if you completed it with all your ratings, you'd be a um, sit in, uh, you'd actually be a flight engineer for a 727. So I started flying roughly in about 77, 78 to get my license when I went into school for that. Um, got my private license, uh, was working on my instrument rating. And at that time, of course, I have glasses. My eyesight's not 100%, 100%. So I realized then that for me to get a job with the airlines, it probably wasn't going to happen. Um, I was working, at, uh, took, I had a part-time job going to college down there, uh, working for United Parcel Service. I was working part-time. And then um, I had a chance to go full-time and I realized that again, my, my flying career wasn't going to happen. So I quit flying, uh, started working full-time at UPS. So I had somewhat of a 17-year layoff before I started flying again. But before that happened, I took a, uh, took my, I flew up, my buddy and I flew up from down to the Arapahoe County, which is now uh, Centennial Airport, and flew up to Boulder and took a, uh, a ride in a glider up at a, at a commercial operation up in Boulder, Colorado, and absolutely loved it. So I always said after I stopped flying that if I ever got back into flying, I'd like to fly gliders again. That must have been pretty amazing to fly a glider out there. Was that near uh, the Rockies? Exactly. Boulder is right up against the Rockies. Uh, they've got some pretty amazing flights there. But again, I didn't I didn't know anything about gliders. I knew I wanted to try it and went out and got in a 233 
and flew it, and uh, I just loved it. I loved the, ex- the excitement there. So, so then that that intrigued me to set up. If I ever get back to flying, I was going to fly gliders again. Then fast forward, like seven, like I said, 17 year layoff. I got transferred a couple times with my job. Ended up down here in Tampa. I live in Tampa, Florida now. And I had a chance to uh, visit the Tampa Bay Soren Society back in '98. It was. And I actually took my daughter out for a guest ride, and she flew. She got sick, but the next weekend I was out and joined the club and uh, and got uh, started flying gliders here in Tampa Bay at that time. And what a nice place to be able to fly. I'm I'm a little jealous because you get to fly all year long, which I obviously up here in West Virginia don't get to do that. But that must be really cool to be able to fly all year long. Yeah, definitely an advantage for us, um, and it, it brings up some different types of uh, situations we've got as a club operation of of dealing with the snowbirds and that sort of thing but it's it's nice to be able to know uh chances are this coming weekend when when you're off work you can get in go fly uh, or even on wednesdays when we fly also so it's uh it's great to be able to fly year-round you're right oh yeah that is very cool maybe uh as the years pass and i get closer to that retirement I will uh, make my way down there and maybe a couple months, you know, out of the year, that'd be really nice to get down there and fly with you all. Yep. And we do have a lot of folks that do that. So it, it, a lot of folks from, from Canada and even from, we even have a gentleman from uh, from England that comes over every year and flies with us too. Speaking of the clubs, you know, I said we had spoke earlier and we were talking about commercial operations versus, you know, the private operations. And you had had some interesting things to say about that. And I've really been thinking about which, what is your view on that? Um, yeah, and I think it's, it's really good to, especially for somebody that knew, that's new, that's um, coming into soaring, I think it's good for them to realize really what the differences are and why you should pick one. And, and pop, if you have a choice, a lot of folks don't have choice. So they, they, they've got either a club near them or a commercial operation near them. But definitely both of them has their advantages and disadvantages. Um, and I think that's, again, to your point, that's it's, there's some good things that we could talk about there. First of all, the, normally what you hear a lot of people say is the club's less expensive. Um, and then that's probably true. And I guess when I talk about that, also, let me let me say before we get started on this, that these are my generalizations. They, they're probably not going to apply all across the, the country, um, but it's kind of my thoughts on it and, and somewhat generalizations. Um, when you talk about commercial operations, first of all, the commercial operations are very important for us in the soaring community. Uh, they serve pilots very well. For a fact, I remember when you talk about if you're traveling across the country and you want to go in and pop into some place and fly, that's that's an ex, usually the commercial operations are the best place to do that. Um, I remember uh, years ago, actually, I, after I got my license, I had a, um, I was uh, traveling. Well, actually, before I got my my license, I was had a chance to go down to Phoenix, and went down there. And I wanted to, I went down a week a weekend early. I was there for business, so I went there a weekend early so I could drive up to the Grand Canyon. But I also found out that uh, Turf Soren at the time was down there, and they did aerobatic rides and gliders. It was perfect to be able to go in there and go to a commercial operation that does exactly that, serve um, somebody traveling in to do a, a, an aerobatic ride, which was phenomenal to do that. So that's that's a good example of of, of the commercial operations that are usually open every day of the week or, or most of the days of the week. Another time I traveled to Dallas 
and got to fly uh, with a commercial operation in Dallas. So that's that's definitely a uh, a plus for the commercial operations. Yeah, you know, you can kind of incorporate it in your vacation, wherever you may be. Yeah, get a glider ride and see what it's like to fly in different parts of the country. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to flying out in the Rockies, out in the West. I know it's a total different type of flying. Obviously, they don't let you go take a glider by yourself until you've done some flying out there because it is such a big difference. Exactly. And again, with a commercial operation, they're probably going to operate almost every day of the week. There may be one or two days off, but still, it's going to work into a traveling person's schedule. And to your point, it gives you an awesome chance to get that experience that you don't have at your home airport. If there were just clubs across the, the country, you probably wouldn't be able to do that because they're going to say you got to join the club, you got to, or whatever the case may be. So that's why commercial operations serve us in the soaring community so well. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. They're they're definitely needed. Um, one of the other disadvantages that I, and again, this is probably the one that comes up the most. They're usually more expensive than clubs. But you got to consider all the expenses they have to run a business. And on the flip side of that, on a club, as a club member, you're being you need to do that type of work from mowing the lawn to actually, if you look at the treasury work, which happened, that's what I actually I'm the, the club treasurer right now. That's all volunteer work where these these businesses have to pay somebody to do that. They have to pay somebody to, to usually be a receptionist when you walk in the door. That sort of thing. So they have a lot of expenses that realistically clubs have too, but they're done by by people that are volunteering too. So that's why you got to understand that that the expenses there's there's a reason for that the expenses. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to a commercial club and you're expecting to basically walk in and go for a flight, and that's why they can do that. But yeah, they do have all those expenses. Where on the other end, being in a club like me. Yes, it takes all of us to get the job done, and it's a lot of work, but we all kind of split it up, and it makes it easier, and it fits its purpose, you know. It is exactly. it is a lot cheaper. Yeah, that. but the commercial clubs, it is nice to be able to just walk in and take a flight, and, and they fit that purpose well. Yep, exactly. Uh, another advantage of commercial operations, um, if, if you're – we have pilots that want to just come in and boom, 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 get their – uh, add-on rating or just a re- regular rating. There's definitely an advantage for a commercial operation there because more the t- more times than not, there's consistent training that they're able to schedule where usually you can't do that in clubs. Or you could do it, but like our club, our club flies weekends and Wednesdays. Uh, and so you can't fly if you say, okay, I've got a week off. I'm going to go in and try to bang out this add-on. It, it just doesn't happen in a club environment that way. So that's definitely another advantage for, for going to a commercial operation. That's true. And some people do, even if they're part of a club, they may go to a commercial operation if they want to get that done and not you know, have to wait because you're waiting on people that are giving their time which is, you know, greatly appreciated. But yeah, if you want to get it done, then you go to a commercial operation, get that part of your training done and get back to your club. Yep. Uh, and actually along those same lines, I remember a few years back, I was the only instructor at our club. And quite frankly, I, I couldn't take on any more students. We're lucky enough to have Seminole Lake that's about, as a crow flies, about 26 miles from our club. 
But what we had to do at that time was if we had somebody, and unfortunately, we, we did have instructors. So at that time, if somebody was coming in, we would say, unfortunately, you know, we could take your money and let you join the club, but it's not going to be fair to you. So we at that time would actually send some folks over there to at least get started um, and be able to hopefully be even solo and then come back over and join our club. So that really worked out for us with a commercial operation close to us to be able to do that sort of thing. That is nice because you hate to tell someone no and then dampen their spirits on soaring. You know, you definitely want to keep them going. That is good. You have that option. I know in our club, we've had times that, you know, the instructors weren't able to be around and sometimes we would get a guest ride show up and you just feel horrible when you got to tell them, I'm sorry, you know, we can't do that today. We don't have an instructor on the field. But that's one of the challenges of a private club. Exactly. And again, it's it's even worse to think to to let that person join the club and not not be able to fly because there's not enough instructors available for them. So so it, it, that's a good a good situation where because we have a commercial operation close, it worked out pretty well for us. Yeah, that is very cool that you have that close that they can have that option. Like you said, they can always jump back over to you and continue to fly in a private club and have the benefits of that also uh speaking of that some of the advantages of clubs uh, and again obviously the first thing that comes up is they're usually less expensive but you got to understand they're less expensive because club members are doing a lot of the work uh, and that's then i throw that in that's a disadvantage all the club ma- members need to do their part to make the club successful in most clubs you are an owner of the business not not a customer so you really have to think that that way, that you're an owner, and you've got to be thinking, or you don't want to think, what can the club do for me, but please, but think about what I can do for the club. And unfortunately, and it's it's usually a, a funny that kind of the 80-20 concept comes in. You'll a lot of times fly that you find out that 20% of the club members really get in there and work, and then there's 80% that do some work, or, and then there's some at the other end that don't do hardly anything. Please don't be one of those members that just show up when the gliders get pulled out to the flight line, fly, and then leave bef- before the gliders get put away. Because one of your club members, one of your fellow members, are there having to do all that work, along with a lot of the other work, like talking about the mowing and all the other odds and ends around the club that has to be done. Just make sure that every you're thinking about that if you're a club member. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's 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 nothing worse than, you know, when you're putting all the gliders away, like you say, and then two or three people disappear and, you know, you're not done yet. But thankfully, in our club, we've had we've had, I think, pretty good luck with that. Everyone kind of shows up and helps bringing them out and we go fly and we all have fun. And then we all stick around and, you know, put the gliders away. Sometimes you'll have that situation where there's, you know, semi-emergency and someone needs to get out of there. And we're, you know, we all understand that those things happen sometimes, but yeah, we've had some pretty good luck with that. We haven't had to run into too much of that. Everyone pretty much gives a hand and we all get it done. Right. Exactly. And and you'd mentioned about us flying year round. That's we're a little different down here because and I, the reason I bring this up because I know a lot of the other clubs out there, they're able to schedule a people to work the line. Uh, they're able to schedule instructors. Uh, we don't do that because of the fact that we're we're year round. Um, if you're only flying for a few months of the year, that's probably easier to control. And again, think about that. Somebody, somebody in the club's got to do all that scheduling too. 
Um, and it, so it's a little bit different for us where it's we're year round. So we, we're not doing that type of scheduling. And honestly, we've tried doing a lot of that. And it's, it's been tough to even get volunteers to be a line chief for us, which we try to get every every day we fly. So this is a, a, a topic that pretty tough for every club because you don't have everybody volunteering as much, do, doing as much of the work as everybody else is. Yeah, that's true. It, it does happen. Um, you know, you and I talked offline and we talked about when you were a student and that's another note. I think that's sometimes it can be a disadvantage for a student when they walk into a club environment at times, or even when that person walks in that wants to do a guest ride, all the club members should be well enough to know to be able, if a, a person from down the street walks in and says, hey, I'd like to do a, a guest ride. Well, you'll, what we'll find is some of the folks can't explain what it is or how much it costs or what's going to happen. So then they, they point them to one or two other club members, and then they even if they're doing something else. So I, I would suggest everybody make yourself to where you can meet the public uh, meet that potential student that's walking in the door um, and give them the, the whole spiel of really what's going on at the club, how much it costs, how we do the dues, that sort of thing. So you can be the, the face of the club also when, when people walk in, no matter if it's a prospective member or somebody wanting to do a guest ride. That always helps also. Yeah, nobody gets forgotten about in the corner somewhere. I wonder who that guy is standing there. He's been over there for like 10 minutes. Has anyone talked to him? You know, make sure they're greeted and make sure they know what's going on at the club and what you have to offer and a guest ride you can hook them up with. And yeah, just make sure they're taken care of. So you know, more members obviously helps us out and makes our club stronger and keeps our club running because it takes money, of course. Definitely, definitely. And and that's a good point because think about that person of what they're going to think about the soaring community or the soaring world when they just walk in and nobody pays attention to them. Nobody wants to show them around. And it, and it really could be not only a bad bad on the club, but the whole the soaring community, the person walks away saying, Really, is that what this is about? And then you, you don't want that to happen. You don't want to give them that, that bad taste in their mouth like that. So I, I highly suggest all the club members think about that. And when somebody new walks in, boom, let's, let's help them out. Yeah, there's that first impression, and it's going to mean a lot. Yep, exactly. Um, also talking to you, you talked about when the, some of the stuff when you when you were a student, you'd walked out there. I think those those type of folks, we ought to find club members that can mentor them or be an advocate for those type with those newer folks that are coming that are learning. And don't just expect the instructor um, to to be their only mentor or advocate because usually that instructor goes from one student to the next student, and then you have that student that's just kind of out, but out there with not a lot of support. So we ought to really think about those people and, and what we can do for them. Another one of your guests talked about changing instructors. Uh, and, and I realized he was talking about when he was doing his power lessons, uh, how he didn't like an instructor and change. That, believe me, that happens in, in the soaring world too. In a club, you may not have as much of a choice, um, and you, we may not have as much of a choice, period, because you can't go to the next airport and find an instructor instructing in, in gliders there. But that doesn't mean that, that we don't have more than one instructor. And again, if you get those students to talk to you and say, you know what, I wasn't comfortable with this. Well, again, let that those other instructors work with them or, or maybe even change instructors. We had a, a conversation just yesterday. I was sitting around after flying talking about how one of our students that he he's now got his license he started actually when he's 65 
Took him a while to get his license, but he's a, a great member, does a lot of work around there, but he's flying all the time. But he was talking about how he started with one instructor, had a chance to fly with another one, and the, the, the stuff that he learned was was a lot more, it was a better, a better teaching methods, he felt, than the other one. Well, that's going to happen. So, again, we ought to think about changing instructors at times. And, again, my, my point there is if all of the other club members – kind of get involved with that and talk to those new people, kind of see how things are going. I think you, we can help make those folks more successful uh, with their soaring careers that way. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, sometimes a student doesn't want to tell their instructor, hey, I'm having a tough time the way you're explaining this. But if they fly with someone else, they may be like, hey, OK, I get it. Because some things for different instructors work better for different students. They they don't always mesh with everything. Sometimes you do need to get a different view from another instructor. I actually flew with a couple instructors and I did it quite a bit. So I kind of got both their methods of teaching and some areas helped with one, some areas helped with other. It, it worked out great. Exactly. And, and uh, I think if clubs even even plan that, and we do it a lot of times where before a person goes for their, their gets ready for their check ride, we'll have them fly with another instructor just to maybe find those types of things that that one instructor may be seeing, uh, and again, or maybe communicate different than the other one. So that's also an advantage with you have, if you have more instructors around. Absolutely. Um, and then the, another advantage of the clubs, and again, probably the, the commercial operations may do this, but I think the social events that we have in the clubs, um, we have dinners, uh, we have the holiday parties, uh, that sort of thing that, that are just Phenomenal. I think that really helps the, to, to build a bigger club. Uh, we bring other people in when we do that. And also with along at that, the day to day, at the end of the end of the day, when we're done, the hangar flying, sitting around and talking about and share some of the stories, get a little big of how how high you got or how long you flew. But that's so much fun. That social side of the club of people sitting around and maybe having those adult beverages afterwards and, and talking that way with we after we get done flying. So that's definitely an advantage of uh, flying with a club also. Oh, it is. You know, I remember several times being at the club and I've landed and then maybe half hour, an hour later, someone else lands and you run out to help them out and they open the canopy and they're like, hey, how was your flight? And it's just cool to hear, you know, the difference between what they did that day and where you were at that day and where they found lift and where they didn't. It's, it, you know, it's, it's really to hear the stories. Was, it's just a lot of fun. Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's why I love the club environment for that reason, too. There's pluses uh, on both sides. Um, and both sides, but commercial operation and clubs are definitely both important for the for our community. Um, and uh, hopefully we support the, definitely the commercial operations and, and all the clubs that we've got also. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you've flown a few gliders in your time of flying. Do you have a favorite? I guess it depends on the purpose that you're looking for the glider. The, the Blanick L23 are, are, are probably the best training ship. I'm, I've trained in, in 33s and in Grobes. For somebody new, I love the Blanick L23 uh, if I was training somebody. For myself, I've flown a bunch of, obviously, a bunch of different gliders. I used to have a, a, a GAPA that you would sit outside. It was a primary. It was a modern primary glider. Basically, you would sit like in a lawn chair and fly. That was a hoot to fly. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but probably my favorite plane now, I've got an LS4 that I that I fly. And it's a uh, better fact, I have never flown in a contest. So there's a group of group of us, that are, or four of us, that are going to 
come up, go up and fly in Cordial this year. It'll be my first contest I'm going to fly in, in the LS4, so looking forward to that. Oh, that sounds exciting. Yep. And then again, um, I've, I've also got a, uh, I've flown a motor glider, and a touring motor glider, um, a, a Demona H36 that, uh, that it opens up a lot of different worlds for that. Touring motor gliders, in, in my opinion, they're, they're, they're really not, they're not great gliders and they're not great regular planes, but they serve a purpose at times. And I've had some wonderful flights in, in that type of glider also. So, but again, I would say if I had my choice right now, I'd, I'd jump in the LS4 and fly it. Do you have any flight that stands out in your mind over, over the years of flying gliders? Um, yeah, flying wave out in Minden. There's a lot of flights out there that, I, that I've just looked back at those, and there's just that's such a great experience. I, I actually had a wave flight in Florida that stands out where we had, I was in a, we're flying a camp in, uh, uh, in Seminole Lake, and there was just, the winds were running opposite directions um, at different altitudes, and it created some wave. And then one up a pilot and I got into this, and we're we were just amazed because obviously you need something to create that wave. Well, because of the winds were blowing different, we got got in some wave and got up over nine thousand feet, which is I mean you can get that type of altitude here, but that was the highest I've ever been in Florida. Uh, that was one. And then also one thing that I, I love to fly, you got to be really careful with it. We have um, sea breeze fronts that move in, especially during the, the summertime. And if you get uh, in front of that sea breeze and fly, it's like flying the ridge. Flying, it's like flying any ridge, but you got to be real careful because usually it's a fast moving ridge and there's some pretty nasty weather behind it. And probably the one flight that sticks out was I was in the Demona, the H-36 Demona after, uh, after work one day in a September many years ago. And a buddy and I jumped in it and went out. We saw we saw the line of uh, sea breeze coming in from the actually from the east coast of Florida. And we flew out to it, connected it, just for over about an hour and a half, flying back and forth along this like flying the ridge of this sea breeze front moving through. Um, and I'm listening to the radio all the time at Zephyr Hills to where we where ta- where the Fl- Soren Society, Tampa Bay Soren Society is, and the weather starts getting nasty at the airport. And I'm listening, and I, if we finally decide there's no way we're going to be able to make it back because of the, all the thunderstorms that are behind the front, because so, this was such a uh, strong one. So again, we had a motor glider. We landed at another airport, tied it down. The next day, I got it and flew it back back to home to Zephyr Hills. So that's definitely one that sticks out in my mind. You know, and I never thought about wave in Florida. I because when I think about Florida, I think it's pretty flat. So that is very interesting to me. Like you taught me something today. I never even thought about it like that. That is very cool that you're able to catch wave down there. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that think I'm crazy, but I've still I've got the IGC file that shows that when we got into it and how we flew it. Actually, I got the other guys too, because we were amazed too. And we it, both of us had already flown wave. So and when you connect with wave, you really know because it's such a smooth lift. And you really could feel, and it was you could see the clouds too. That how they were forming. That you, it looked like there were some lennies coming off of it. So it was pretty obvious to us. So, but yeah, to fly in Florida, it's like that. That's it was amazing. I haven't flown wave yet. I've run the ridge a lot. I love to ridge soar, but the wave flying is definitely something that I have to do yet. I don't. I, I don't think I'll ever be able to do it again. Chances are because I was just lucky at that time to connect to it. So that's what's great about soaring because there's so many different types of soaring. 
uh, depending on where you go, uh, it's just phenomenal that, that uh, the adventure and every flight you're learning something from it. So that's why I just love doing it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Get a chance uh, to come down to Florida, uh, look us up, Tampa Bay Soaring Society. Uh, we love to have folks coming down and uh, come down getting us a good weather. And uh, come look us up, and uh, we'll like to fly with everybody that comes down. Well, thanks again for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. It's It's been a lot of fun, and I will no doubt ask you to come back again because, you know, it's really nice to keep everybody connected and talk about this thing we love to do, and that's SOAR. Definitely. And thank you for what you're doing. I know it's a lot of work for you to do this. Um, but it's definitely something that, that podcasts are, are a great tool to get messages out. And thank you for spending the time to do this. Absolutely. I'm glad I can do it. It's, it's been a lot of fun and it's, it's a learning experience for me too. And, you know, that's one thing about hangar flying we were talking about. And we're always learning when we fly. And like I said, this podcast has been, I, I've also been able to learn from my guests. So it's, it's great. Yep. Again, thank you very much. You're very welcome, Bruce, and if you have any questions about soaring, you can always go to the Soaring Society of America, ssa.org. All the information is right there for you. You can always drop us a line. Even if you're not a pilot, feel free to drop us a line. Let us know where you're listening from. Great to hear from you. Just go to www.soaringthesky.com. Thanks again for joining us. We'll have another great guest on the next episode right here on Soaring the Sky.